University of Surrey's podcast focusing on the groundbreaking research taking place at our institution. This week, we're talking about something that blows my mind every time I even try to think about it. Space. Did you know that one million Earths can fit inside the Sun? And that one day on Venus is longer than one year on Earth? Yeah, mind-boggling. So, we spoke to our resident astrophysicist, Dr Payal Das, to ask her some more mind-bending questions on this topic. I'm sure I'm not the first to ask you this, but what is a galactic archaeologist? A galactic archaeologist is a scientist who uses stars, like stellar fossils, to learn more about how these galaxies formed. Now, my research area is focusing on the Milky Way, and galactic archaeology in the Milky Way is undergoing a complete revolution. That's thanks mainly to a spacecraft that was launched back in 2013 called Gaia. And Gaia is observing almost 2 billion stars. So that's a few percent of all the stars that exist in the Milky Way. And what it's measuring is something called parallax. And that tells us how far away these stars are. It's also measuring two other components of uh, velocity called proper motions. And these tell us basically how fast these stars are moving in the plane of the sky. And it also tells us where these stars are in the sky. So it gives us two position coordinates as well. Now, as well as Gaia, we also have a couple of spectroscopic surveys that are being run from Earth. And these are really exciting because they're taking spectra for each of these stars. Now, a spectrum basically tells us how many photons you're seeing at different wavelengths. And if you look at a spectrum, sometimes you see dips and these are absorption lines. And they result from the fact that there are some chemical elements in the atmosphere of the stars and they absorb parts of the um, spectrum. And what parts of the spectrum they, they absorb tell us what chemical elements exist in the atmosphere of that star. So from these surveys um, all together, so from Gaia and the spectroscopic surveys, we can learn about how these stars are moving and we can also learn about what they're made out of. Now together, that actually tells us quite a lot about these stars. So for example, how they're moving, the kind of orbits they're following in our galaxy, that tells us a little bit about their origin. Like did they originate from another galaxy, like a dwarf galaxy? that eventually came too close to our Milky Way ended up being stripped. Now the chemical composition of the stars can also tell us part of this story. They can also tell us if they were born in the Milky Way or some other external galaxy, or were they actually born further in in the galaxy, because uh, then the chemical composition of a star will be different according to how old the star is. So really it's a little bit of a puzzle, and galactic archaeologists are trying to put together this puzzle using all this information we can extract from surveys. When did you become interested in astrophysics? So to be honest, I think I've always been interested in astrophysics. One of my first memories of looking at stars in the night sky um, is a visit to India. So I was born in India and I used to go to India a lot as, um, as a young child. And my parents actually came from a little village and in those days, and possibly even now as well, there isn't actually that much light pollution. And it was even better when I was a young child. And this meant you got the most amazing night sky. And we would go there um, around August time, you know, school holidays. And there was a lot of rain during the day, to be honest, but nights used to be very clear. And you could see the, the disk of the Milky Way, you could see the void. And I really fell in love with astrophysics at that time. Why should we care about astrophysics? And why is this important? Astrophysics is really everything we know about the universe. 
and the universe is what gave birth to the earth that we live on. So I really think we do need to care about astrophysics because that's what's going to tell us where we came from. The universe is also like a really massive laboratory where lots of different types of physics goes on. So you have like nuclear physics, you have general relativity, you have special relativity, you have quantum physics in play, you have all these different kinds of physics that we learn about, you know, in a physics degree or even at school. And by studying astrophysics, we have insights into all these different fields within physics. From a more practical perspective, there are lots of challenging things that we're trying to image in the universe or take spectra for. And because of that, we end up developing instruments that are very sophisticated, end up being useful back here on Earth. There are also lots of skills that we develop, ways of fitting models to data, new ways of fitting models to data, and these also end up being quite applicable back here on Earth. Why is Surrey the right place for you to continue your career? So the physics department at Surrey is really a fantastic place to continue my career. So I started just over a year ago, just before the first lockdown due to the COVID crisis. And to be honest, I couldn't imagine feeling more welcome in a department. I already knew some of the faculty there, but all the meetings that were occurring, like the seminars, the group meetings, coffees, all of these little events that occurred online were so amazing in helping me feel more at home. Many of the faculty in the astrophysics group also work on galaxy evolution, but there are actually lots of different aspects of galaxy evolution. So I focus, for example, galaxies especially the Milky Way and there are others who uh, focus more on the large-scale structure or focus more on dark matter for example which is something we know is there because it has some kind of impact on the way stars move in galaxies but we can't really see it because it doesn't interact with electromagnetic radiation which is one of our key ways of detecting something present in the universe. Um, so having people working on all these different elements of galaxy evolution really lets you piece together a much more complete understanding of how we think these galaxies have evolved over time. So zooming out, looking at the university as a whole, I think it's really going in a direction where I want to go myself. It's very clear that the university wants to promote a research culture that's really healthy to work in to promote uh, a studying environment that's really healthy for the students to be part of. And it also wants to encourage like a diverse uptake of both students and staff alike. And that's really what I would like to promote for my own group. So it really seems like the perfect place to be. What for you is the holy grail of astrophysics? The holy grail of astrophysics for me is revealing what the dark component of our universe is. So when I say dark component, it actually comes in two bits which are probably not connected but might be. So it turns out that about 68% of the universe is dark energy um, and this was discovered back in 1997 because we found out that um, the universe was expanding and this was looking at um, a type of explosion called supernovae and in particular type 1a supernovae um, and these explosions are actually very similar in how much energy they release. So we can use them like a distance ladder. So when they occurred at different distances, um, they should still release the same amount of energy, but we only get less of it because they're further away. So you can then use this um, as a measure of how quickly the universe is expanding. For example, we found that the universe is actually accelerating in its expansion. And this can only be explained if we have about 68% of the universe's dark energy. 
Now there's another component that we call dark matter, and this makes up about 27% of the energy mass budget of the universe. And we know about dark matter because if you look in the outskirts of galaxies, uh, the stars out there happen to be moving a lot more quickly than we would expect if we just looked at um, images of the galaxy. So looking at the images, you think that actually there aren't any stars out there, there shouldn't be any matter out there. The few stars that are out there shouldn't really be moving very quickly, but they, in fact they are. And this leads us to infer that actually there's a lot of matter out there that's not interacting with electromagnetic radiation that I um, said earlier, but is interacting with other particles gravitationally. Now, these two components, to be honest, we haven't learned very much about them. There's some exciting theories. I don't know so much about dark energy, but I know a very exciting um, theory for dark matter is uh, the axion particle. Um, research on this is ongoing, and I'm really excited to know what we'll learn over the next few decades. Now, a few tough questions for you. Is there an edge or end to the universe? If there's an edge or end to the universe, or if the universe goes on forever, but if we believe in the Big Bang Theory, which is that the whole universe started off in a tiny point um, that is infinitely small, um, there was a massive explosion, and then the universe has essentially expanded since that time, since the time of the Big Bang. However, at times, the expansion was actually faster than the speed of light. So because this, the speed of light is a constant, or we think it's a constant, then we're limited in how far we can see. It can never actually be that true edge because there were times where it expanded more quickly than the speed of light. So even though we don't see that edge, we still always perceive an edge. And this is just because of the limit of the speed of light. So the edge that we see is basically how far light could have traveled since the start of the universe. Are astrophysicists interested in extraterrestrial life? Absolutely, everyone is interested in extraterrestrial life. So I think the way most astronomers approach the question of whether extraterrestrial life exists or not is obviously from an uh, astrophysics perspective. And what many astronomers are actually working on is trying to look for planets out there, and in particular planets that might lie in that special zone called the Goldilocks zone, um, where life could be supported. There are lots of missions out there that are searching for exoplanets, and actually exoplanets are planets that are beyond our solar system. Actually, some of these missions have been interesting for, for galactic archaeology, and these are missions like Coral, Kepler, TESS, which is taking data now, and future missions such as Plato. These missions are monitoring the brightness of stars for periodic drops that might be caused by planets that are transiting. Um, on the other side, these light curves that they derive for all the stars are interesting for the kind of work that I do because they also tell us if the stars are pulsating. And these pulsations leave certain signatures in the light profiles of the stars. And if we analyse those signatures, we can actually learn something about how massive these stars are. Now, there are a certain class of stars called red giants. And for these red giants, if you know the mass of the stars, you know the age. And actually, you can imagine for galactic archaeology, knowing the ages of stars is really fundamental to try and understand what the formation history of a galaxy is. Now, coming back to axoplanets, if we have these um, kind of missions that are out there like TESS, we can start assembling large samples of exoplanets that exist in our in our Milky Way. Then with these exoplanets, what you really want to start 
doing if you're looking for extraterrestrial life is to look for biomarkers. So you may have heard a little bit about uh, the discovery of a potential biomarker in Venus over the last year, I think. There were a couple of papers, and the first paper was claiming that they had detected phosphine, a particular uh, biomarker in the atmosphere of Venus. Now, we really want to be able to do this kind of work for other planets out there, so exoplanets in our in our Milky Way. So there's a telescope that was actually launched this year, the James Webb Space Telescope, and it might be able to provide some of the first glimpses. So look at the kind of gases that make up the atmospheres of Earth-sized exoplanets, which we think are the most likely to be able to host extraterrestrial life. Well, that's it for this episode. If you'd like to find out more about the fascinating research taking place at Surrey, please visit www.surrey.ac.uk forward slash research. Until next time.